Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. It's our final show of 2018 and uh, I'm your co-host R.C. Weslowski. And I'm your other co-host Lucia Mish. And we are happy and excited, at least I am, to have uh, in studio. I don't want to speak for you. I am you. too. No, I'm, I'm happy and excited about our guest today for sure. I just don't want to speak for you, that's all. Uh, Asia Moore. Hi, Asia. Hi. So nice to have you here. I'm very excited to be here. This is very cool. I've never been on the radio before. Oh, right great. So, World premiere. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, have you start things off with the poem, please. Okay. Um... And this one is called Unemployable. It was opulent not to go and be told about it later. A fake still delivers. How industrious. I'm absent, trying to be a good artist. I forget to live a little. I forget to love through the poem, despite what's happened, which is doubly embarrassing, because it's me who's always going on about, love is a verb, you fake radical. <laughs> Try writing about yourself in the, in the third person. Asia on the page is always on the page for someone else, even when it doesn't seem like it, especially so in that case. I want her to stop pretending not to care, but I also want to stop caring. On the phone, I said thank you. This has been more nourishing than writing a poem. I surprised myself. I thought Adorno wrote, all art is just properly sublimated rage. But when I double-checked, it was, talent is perhaps nothing more than successfully sublimated rage. Makes sense. I have a lot of anger, but I'm learning that art requires more, maybe even its opposite, which is not to say remove it. Please show me all your rage. I want to hold it, and then, and then, and then. On the phone, I said, accomplishments are tricky. The sirens by then were nothing. An accomplishment doesn't just fix everything. I achieve whatever. I memorized the change you get when you give me a five. Once, I worked across from the courthouse. I was giving this man his 185 back. The coins slipped through his fingers into his coffee. He squealed like a pig. I had to stop myself from using feminized examples here. I was like, no problem, I'll replace it, but I can barely hold the pot. When some thoughts come, I shake. I write with the body now. Funny how we put money everywhere but in our mouths. So you do know it's dirty. You probably put money in your a-hole. 
I don't say anything. Instead, I go to the bathroom, put my hands inside myself, don't wash them. <laughs> right on. That's so good. Thanks. What was the title of that one called? Um, Unemployable. Unemployable. Right on. It's just about being a bad employee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm curious about um, work rage. Work rage is a, is a topic that comes up a lot in my life and the lives of those I love. And obviously yours as well. I used to work across like when the, when the courthouse was just at... Um, Cordova and Maine. Mm-hmm. So all the public defenders would come into this little tiny coffee shop, which was smaller than this room, and, where I worked alone, and they would just be like trash talking their clients who were just like really already quite marginalized people. And it was a really devastating it's, environment. Yeah, and it's terrible to be in a position where you have to serve those people with, with a smile. Especially during the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because a lot of people say like incredibly horrible things like a very insensitive uh uninformed things mm-hmm. about addiction and uh sometimes your job depends on you know sublimating that right and being in the service industry that those moments too are a reminder of how invisible you are when you're in a, a service position and also like when you're in a service position i've noticed that and i've worked i feel like i've worked everywhere in vancouver <laughs> like people feel that they are entitled to do anything to you, say anything to you, t- touch you in any way, um, like just because you are serving them, but mm-hmm. they don't think beyond like that dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's server when not attached to human. No, not at know. all. I had someone once, like an, a person complaining that their coffee wasn't hot enough and then they grabbed my hand and put my fingers in their coffee. Oh, Lord. Like, just, like, random, like, stuff where you're like, why would you think that would be okay? Like, I don't know, so. And how much control do you actually think I have over the temperature of this coffee? Yeah. (laughs) And also, how much do you think I care? Not at all. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the key. No way. Do you find that, do you find that, that writing about those people and those experiences um, feels like getting back a little bit or getting yourself back a little bit perhaps? A little bit. I like that second iteration because I think like sometimes I feel compelled to write about times when I felt like hurt or wronged but then that can like really easily lapse into just me giving those people and those occasions more space mm-hmm. in my brain and in my life, which like I don't necessarily want to do. I was really taken in the poem with like the split between like the first person self and the third person self, which you which you reference directly and then and then do as well. Like the age on the page is the she and then the I is the speaker. Mm-hmm. And that felt like sort of reflected later on in the the um, narrator as worker and the narrator as poet. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, yeah there was, was a nice I, reflection there for me. Thank you. And when you do that, because that caught my attention too, and you do reference it in the poem, um, do you feel, or when you're writing it, did, did that happen? Like, were you just kind of free-flowing and then, boom, I'm going to talk into the third person? Or was that a, how conscious of a choice was that? And did that change the way you were approaching the poem. Um, so actually, this poem, uh, part of the reason why I started with it and why I like it so much is um, I was going to UBC a couple years ago, and I was bringing, especially with poetry, like not so much in other genres, but I would be bringing things to workshop that I wanted, that I knew they weren't 
right or like they needed work and I wasn't getting any feedback even from certain professors would say like there's not a lot left to do with this like it's done which is like not why I'm in school yeah, yeah. and so I um I needed something else and so I realized one of my favorite poets uh, Ariana Raines who's a yeah. New York poet um she was teaching at the summer literary seminar which was in Tbilisi Georgia and I really wanted to go but it cost thousands of dollars to go which I can't afford so I emailed them and asked them if they needed a volunteer so they offered me a volunteer position and waived my tuition I still had to fly to Europe but I just wanted to learn from her I just felt like I needed someone to tell me to be honest with me and not treat me as really fragile mm. so I was in her workshop and uh, I had submitted this work to her and she said something to me like why are you still pretending that you don't care you're writing a poem oh. we all know that you care stop pretending stop lying on the page and after that everyone else in the workshop was all going to this opera and um, I was, was like I can't go anywhere like I need to be writing right now I need to like use the energy of that workshop and then I just wrote this poem in one go and uh, she and I was just thinking a lot about that and thinking going through old work and finding that like if I had just reversed the sentiment in a lot of my pieces then that would fix a lot of things like I had just been lying to mm. myself mm. in the piece so that was a piece that just came out after I did that workshop with her and um, she had she's the one that told me that I needed to write more with my body and that my body wasn't like in the poem at all so that's why that's also in the poem so yeah I'm curious about the the yeah what writing with your body means to or looks like for you what like embodied embodied practice around poetry is like um well i I think that like a lot of the criticism that I get like if I'm engaging in a workshop environment not necessarily an in institutional workshop environment but any kind is that like I have a distance from things that um sometimes works and sometimes doesn't and I think that Sometimes I am too in my head when I'm writing, and then I end up writing something that's like hyper analytical. Uh, and it's not that it's not valuable, but it's it's not. It doesn't really capture anyone's attention. It's kind of like methodical and boring. And uh, I just feel like in those times when I'm just writing, I just am spewing concepts. I have to stop, and what maybe I have to stop writing, and I have to like go and. Uh, make a pie that was a really simple one but like making dough is something that like I was thinking about this this morning like I, I have to use my like bodily intuition to make dough mm -hmm. I can't use my intellect mm -hmm. to make dough like I have to feel it and I have to kind of and it, depending on what you're making like if you're making an oil based dough the more you touch it the better it becomes so if you're making a butter based dough you have to be really delicate and like so just doing things that get me back in my body right and then oh, yeah. That's yeah. yeah like sometimes I'm like the best thing I can do for my writing practice is stop writing and go to the sauna or mm -hmm. like something that is putting me back in my body and sometimes usually how that manifests on the page is like I'll have all these concepts and like this is a book that I don't think I'll ever write a book like this again it's more of an amalgamation I'm hoping that in the future my books will be more uh thought out and kind of centering around more of a theme but 
like it'll sometimes manifest where there'll be like a kind of abstract thought and then I'll have to think of like a really concrete thing that I was doing or feeling mm-hmm. that I can put in there to ground someone because I think that like a lot of my best work is abstract but I think to be abstract in a poem you really have to earn it you can't just be abstract forever mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> on it. you yeah. lose people yeah that's fascinating. I really relate to that. One of my richest periods of writing was when I had a job working in construction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, I think, was just that I was spending all day doing things, a lot of new things, like mm-hmm. with my body and with my hands, that weren't terribly intellectual. It was, you know, punching holes through metal and using drills and climbing up ladders. And uh, and my brain was there and also sort of not there. My body was in motion. And it, I would go home and just be like, oh, man, I have, like, all this writing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all this fiberglass to get out of my arms also. (laughs) I mean, I really believe that when you are working with your body and moving your body, like, you're activating new or other Mm -hmm. neuropath pathways and you're activating new modes of thinking that are not accessible to you, like, through merely thinking. Yeah. So, that's very valuable. Yeah, super valuable and, like, not very often heard uh, guidance for writers is, like, when you're feeling stuck for some reason stop writing and go do something mm-hmm. yeah i would say it's like not always the right advice but like 95 percent of the time it is it helps in some way yeah yeah right on sweet uh our guest this afternoon is asia moore and uh you were reading from your uh book hot wheel correct mm-hmm. sweet uh so let's uh hear another poem from you either from the book and you also mentioned uh uh, prior to be on the show that you've got something new as well you're yeah. considering. I'll finish with that one. So maybe if I read three, I'll read that one sure. last. And if it's okay, I'm going to take a picture. Sure. I was going to read one that is sort of about working in the downtown east side during the opioid crisis, but it has the uh, F word in it in a way that I can't really censor it because it is juxtaposed with a customer using like a substitution for, for, the, word, for mm. the F word. But instead of reading that, I'm going to read, you know what, I'm going to read something I don't usually read. This one um, I wrote when I was trying to substitute, like, uh, socializing with just watching Planet Earth (laughs) 2, instead of of seeing other people, and it's called Technologies for Freedom. Sweet, tenuous feeling, the animal's lack of resources is gorgeous. Propulsion worth stealing. As usual, its captors announce their good intentions. I just take it, the approximation of an experience so close to the real thing. The animals who dream develop a fixation on the animals who don't. Mm. This could mean... This could mean... The body can be convinced of its obsolescence only once it has language. A voice covers the earth. This is the last place humans can live. I think it must be thriving, fold myself, create a sensation. Water engraves the whole world. I engrave myself into the floor, a gouge that extends itself beyond the room in the house and settles between us. What survives despite it? The new hatchlings clamber. My heart swells and drops. The creatures move the way they always have. More erupts. The light at the end of the tunnel is just the city delivering right to your door in 24 hours or less. 
The device that reveals the atrocities causes them. I bought it and scattered. I need more time, money, and love. Without the first two, the third atrophies. But the others don't sully so easily. I think I would prefer time and love to money, but I think I prefer time over love. David Attenborough voice. <laughs> These are desperate times. There is an animal who will do its worst and feel vindicated. Still others who will do their worst for different reasons. At what point is motivation still important? At what point can I consider this a condition? Loveless gait of the hungry thing moving across the screen. What I would give for a purpose instead of a poem. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Oh man, the the equation of time, love, and money that you play out of that poem just got me right in the right in the winter. Right. In the, <laughs> <laughs> um, why would you choose time over love? Um, I I think that it's because, generally speaking, what people mean by love is not something that appeals to me, hmm. and it's. Um, I was reading this book by a theorist, a German theorist named Nicholas Luhmann. He has a theory that uh, love has kind of been co-opted into a system, and that system exists outside of all other systems. And so because of that, we are like compelled to never think about what effect other systems have on love or what, like how love is a factor mm. in so many other things. Mm. And I think that like, most models that we have of love, especially romantic love, are like really damaging <laughs> and hurtful. Um, and with time, I could learn other modes of loving, I think. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's, well, that's convincing. It's a good argument. I wouldn't choose time, like I'm not sure that I would choose time over having no love in my life at all. Right. But I think I would choose time and have different, maybe what some people would consider to be weaker forms of love. Mm. Or creating your own version of love. Yeah, yeah. that's different. Mm -hmm. What do you think it's been co-opted by, or what did he think it was co-opted by? Um, he, he's very convoluted, and he's a theorist who says that he writes uh, complicated like on purpose mm. so people have to work so, so the one which I hate him, basically. Which, which I hate I hate that opinion so after I read that one part that was interesting to me I kind of put the book down okay. but uh, I think that like unfortunately I think it has been co-opted by so many things including people uh, who we're close to like and corporations and um, dating apps everything yeah just thinking even thinking about like for a long time you know I felt like I couldn't be queer because I couldn't imagine it mm -hmm. I had no nothing at my disposal to imagine what that would look like and or feel like or be like and I just like I yeah I just think that like we live in a culture where like yeah like it wants me to doubt myself it wants me to date exclusively like cis men and like pedestalize them and to be competitive with other women I think that like um kind of pitting women against each other and people who aren't men essentially against one another is like a big fact factor in a lot of romantic love which I like really despise and it makes yeah. me feel bad so yeah 
Yeah, I like systems of competition and power and possession, I think, yeah, are hugely influential in how we think relationships are supposed to be and identity around love is supposed to be. Um, and it is, but I think we're, yeah, we're led to see it as something that's kind of this, like, you know, uh, inherent, pure thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that isn't And that's what that, so. Nicholas Blumen says, mm -hmm. is when love mm -hmm. is its own thing, then nothing can change it. It's outside of everything. And right. It's, it's, he... He says that in the 19th century, it, it kind of went from being something that you work at, which I think love is always going to be a working a work, to something that is dependent on chance mm. and like love yeah. at first sight and like all these kinds of concepts. And when love is dependent on chance, that makes it its own thing that no one can touch. Mm -hmm. And yeah. But there are certain types of love that are beyond that, that people think that anyway. Like if you've got a, a, a divine being that you connect with, that's supposed to be, you know, beyond all other things and can't be tainted and, and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. there's that too. Like, I mean, but that's I think that's he a does try to too. tie it to religious traditions that were before mm -hmm. that and, and still happening. But I think what you touched on is possession. Is I think a lot of people, even people who I, like, respect or like thought I did like <laughs> they have conflated love with possession yeah 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 and it's really difficult to like be around that mm -hmm. thank god for planet earth too except for that I read an article the other day but basically David Attenborough is saying like I haven't portrayed the realities of global warming because it wouldn't make good television. Oh my gosh. Also, I think that the, the narrativizing of nature, like I love those shows and I watch yeah. them and I, they chill me out, but to some extent, but that I think and I'm, I'm like, man, what, what story do I think I'm watching? What story mm -hmm. am I, what story am I being given? And how is this shaping my understanding yeah. of what nature is? Basically, that's my biggest interest right now. I'm reading a lot about animacy. Oh. And, I, and like basically what you're talking mm -hmm. about is, is anthropomorphizing mm -hmm. things that are not mm -hmm. human. It's like a lizard. It doesn't even have facial expressions. Yeah, and I was reading this article in Guts magazine the other day called Surveillance and Animals that this person had written, I can't remember their name, about um, watching bird cams, like all these mm. places that have yeah, yeah. live feeds of birds, and saying that, just quoting an example of an observatory where a mother falcon had a baby and then she was harming it or biting it or something and people were so incensed that they broke into the conservatory or whatever it's called mm -hmm. and tried to like rescue the baby bird and oh, the, man. Make yeah, the like, bird not behave like a bird and right. have yeah. it behave like a human yeah basically yeah. the mother bird has to be a human mother otherwise people are going to intervene yeah yeah, yeah. oh man yeah like, yeah that but is fascinating you were, you were talking about that because you were talking about the the structures imposed on love and all that sort of maybe through like uh uh planet earth you know if those constructs are created, because you know they're, 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 they always often have the mating rituals and sorts mm -hmm. of those things too, and can be portrayed as competitive at times, and and so maybe it's you know, is it the human imposing the structure on the animals behaving, totally. or or how are we interpreting it? I think it, it's like can be both. Like for some reason. It's like, I think we project at times when it's not fitting, and then we refuse to see the similarities when it would help us. Mm -hmm. Like in Planet Earth 2, there's a part with a, this bird called the Bower Bird, mm -hmm. and it makes this like really elaborate, shiny nest mm -hmm. of like all these cool things, and that's how it attracts its mate. And everyone that I was talking to about it was being like, weird, whoa. <laughs> and I was like, how do you what? not see that that's what we are doing? Oh, yeah. We basically buy shiny stuff. Right. And litter our homes with it and hope that's put it on ourselves yeah and totally. hope that people are gonna find us like attractive yeah, emotionally 
and physically <laughs> and whatever. Yeah. Right um, on. So we're almost out of time, so let's yeah. get to that last yeah. poem then. Okay, so this is a poem that I, I wrote. I, I submitted it to, um, to my grad school application, and it, I was doing copywriting work, and in doing that, I was doing research that I wouldn't normally do, and I was just finding out all of these amazing, po- like, just poetic... I love finding poetic content in something that is not hmm. poetry and so I was trying to find a way that I could use all of these like weird facts that I found so I wrote this poem <clears throat> it's discount night at the sauna I'm rolling old skin and dirt off my thighs shins shoulders chest palms cheeks heels arch and sink it can take more than 500 years to form two centimeters of healthy topsoil. I rub mine off. Men stare. We inhabit a crucial ecosystem nonetheless. Plowing and tilling soil is like bulldozing a human city. If you think of the planet as one giant emergent superorganism, then soil is akin to the skin of the earth. I love that analogy, but it fails to account for the conversion of skin into luxury item. Skin as most extractable resource. Skin as landscape, replenishing itself with less and less success. To preserve its softness, always flay the snake alive. I force myself to molt. I drag my nails through the slick of me and collect. In America, there were monuments everywhere. I watched the sun play at their feet. I watched it go down too, I just didn't get pics. Just trust me on this one. Oxygen is the ash that spools from stars. All the water on Earth just fell from the sky. I live on the coast, so I get to touch it anytime I want to. On the shore, I thought, did it hurt when you fell from heaven and I treat you like this? The harbor is frothing, my feet up on her wet hearth. I reach for my charm, wrap wrap each finger around it, petting those perfect keys. The average person touches their phone 2,600 times a day. I don't think I could touch another person that much if I had my whole life. Although lately, I am making attempts to attend to my body the way I would attend to a screen. It only takes four minutes for a person's vital signs to to mimic another's, provided they are really in love. Over two-thirds of people report feeling phantom vibrations from their inactive mobile devices. To be fair, on the West Coast, we're expecting the big one any second now, although apparently it is not the movement of the Earth, but the collapse of man-made structures on its surface that causes the most fatalities. My phone died while I was trying to take pictures of wet spider webs this morning. The universe can be so direct sometimes. I keep my awe to myself. They still have pennies in America. I sat by the Hudson and thought about breaking a dollar into a hundred pieces. Wealth increases visually. Earth reduced to a vault and me still pining for a patch of dirt to practice growing in. I take the scenic route and crave omniscience. Fruit ripens on the ledge. Something godly happens when care lapses into surveillance. Unlike animals, plants can't migrate when they are threatened. I hear the mice in the experiments reach a tipping point and instinctual behavior is lost. 
Unlike animals, plants can't party when they are threatened. In New York, I had a bad dream about remaining gentle. It was a relief to continue. My phone gets filthy, the holes fill up, and I get to suck the dirt out. Ah, that's amazing. That was wonderful. And where were you picking those pieces from? Um, just all over. So I was doing copywriting work. They wanted, um, like, interesting facts about, like, oh, okay. about, like air, water, mm. psychology, da-da-da. And so I was just kind of looking... I, like, sometimes you just click, like, a clickbaity weird okay. article that you think is going to be nothing, and then somehow it's so interesting. There's some piece of trivia, yeah, yeah that, like, kind of sounds that gong, and you're like, oh, yeah, you're boy. Like, oh, BuzzFeed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so before we wrap up, maybe just quickly to mention your uh, book and where people can get it oh, and yeah. all that stuff. Um, I was just at Massey Books, and they have two copies. I think they have some copies at Paperhound. You can get it on the Metatron website. Um, you can email me if you liked this. Just talk to me. I like that. I like to get messages from strangers. And uh, I think they also have them at Pulp Fiction. Mm. And Asia is A-J-A? Yeah. M-O-O-R-E. Yeah, like the Steely Dan record. Yeah, I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah. Your, your parents Steely Dan fans? They are... Slash word. I'm not sure how I feel now. <laughs> to check back in right on. Well, All it's right. been so wonderful to have you and get yeah. to hear some of your poetry Thank and chat. Thank you for having me. This was such a nice experience. Um, are you reading anywhere soon or anything? Um, no. I, I might read in February. I'm moving away for a couple months um, into the interior mm-hmm. to, to get a change of pace. Okay. And... So maybe in February I'll read at the co-op, the bookstore there. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for making uh, one of your final appearances here on our final uh, broadcast of 2018. I loved it. Thank you. Uh, So yeah, so we're done till January 2nd, and then we'll have Bonnie Nish and Jude Neal uh, on as our guests. And I just want to give a quick uh, shout out and uh, condolences to Jude Neal, whose mom passed away earlier this week. Uh, We're thinking of you, and uh, we'll talk to you on January January 2nd. I'm R.C. Weslowski. And I am Lucia Mish. Our guest today has been Asia Moore. You can uh, check our archives after 3 o'clock today to listen to the show again, or if you're just tuning in now, to listen to it for the first time. And it will also be a podcast up on iTunes in the new year, and you can download it there for free. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what?